Welcome back to another episode of Laser Graves. I am your co-host, E.K. Wimmer. Hello, Emily Kimberly Wimmer. I'm Mariah Rose. Emily Kimberly? Uh-huh. No, I feel about the L-Y is back-to-back like double, that. Double dose. It's because your parents named you in the 80s. <laughs> I'm sorry. Totally. Totally. You know, in the 80s, growing up, I was so bummed that my name was Mariah because it was an old lady name. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be named Tiffany so bad. Yeah. So I would, every story I wrote in elementary school, my main character was Tiffany. And then it eventually kind of graduated to a little more casual Amy. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. So at heart, you'll always be an electric youth. Oh, no, that's Debbie Gibson. Oh, you passed the test. Oh, thank you. It's an 80s <laughs> podcast. I saw uh, Tiffany in a weird B-movie, like sci-fi original movie a while back. One of those, I don't know, maybe it was Debbie Gibson now that I'm thinking about it. No, I, th- I don't know. But it was kind of one of those, you know, Megasaurus meets Mega Kongus kind of things. You know those, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like giant crab okay. versus... Giant alligator. Yeah, yeah. There was a whole slew of them. You're thinking. I know who you're thinking. Yeah, Jennifer Lopez. It wasn't Jennifer Lopez. Anaconda. No, no, (laughs) she had enough. I think it was. I think it was Debbie Gibson. (laughs) Oh wait, no, no, wait. We're talking about Tiffany. I think it was Tiffany. (laughs) Nobody's gonna get your enough joke, but I got it. Yeah, that's all that matters. (laughs) Okay, well, where are we? Oh, welcome to our <laughs> podcast. This is Laser Graves. We talk about 80s stuff if you're joining us for the first time. If you're returning, we're still, we've not stopped. You think that when the episode ends, we stop talking? No. You actually just paused our life, but we were just talking nonstop about the 80s. We just occasionally hit record. Yeah. This is all just, we do with our life. Really, this is just eavesdropping on our life. And then pay some bills. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And then we're going to die eventually. Got to pay them bills and talk about the 80s. All right. Speaking of the 80s, we're talking about them. This week, we are talking about a pretty heavy hitter for our household. We've just been lately kind of been like, you know what? Let's just go for broke. Mm -hmm. You know, we break for no one. Shake what your mother gave you. We do break for no one. (laughs) You're getting all the jokes tonight. I know. If only they were real jokes. Other people would laugh. (laughs) (laughs) We don't need people to laugh at our jokes. Nope. Speaking of which, my dad told me a joke today. Uh Uh-huh. He came in. He was like, I got a joke for you. And I said, what is it, dad? And he goes, what do you do do with a cranky astronaut? Hmm. Uh, I said, I don't know, dad. What? And he goes, you give him space. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He knows the dad jokes. I was was proud. But then I said my joke of the week. I said, dad, and you, you have to act surprised when you hear it, even though I told it to you. Okay. I probably forgot it by now. Okay. What does the sun and bread have in common? Yeah, I did forget it already. What? They both rise in the east. (laughs) (laughs) Good one. (laughs) Okay. All right, man. Maybe you know what we should have done when we first started this podcast what? years ago. Uh, joke of the joke of the day. Oh, I have so many good dad jokes. No, just jokes in general. Oh, like really funny ones. No. Okay. I mean, I'm yet to hear a really funny one. Oh. Let's hear one. Okay. Real funny. Okay. Why did the cowboy get a dachshund? <laughs> oh, why? 
because someone told him to get along, little doggy. <laughs> okay, well, this week we are talking about <laughs> about a film filled with jokes. Not, oh, yeah. not quite that good. No, nope. Mel Brooks would be jealous. He would. Jealous of that one. Mm-hmm. That is zinger. He, is he still alive? I forgot to check. Yes, he's okay. still alive. <laughs> All right, we're talking 1987's <laughs> Space Odyssey classic, Spaceballs. There it is, Planet Druidian. And underneath the air shield, 10,000 years of fresh air. We must get through that air shield. We will, sir. Once we kidnap the princess, we can force her father, King Roland, to give us the combination to the air shield, thereby destroying planet Druidia and saving planet Spaceball. Everybody got that? Spaceballs, the movie. Princess Vespa spaceship within range, sir. Good. What's going on? Either the 4th of July, or someone's trying to kill us! Now we will show her who is in charge of this galaxy. If you do not give me the combination to the air shield, Dr. Slotkin will give your daughter back her old nose! No! Only one man and his trusted companion can save planet Druidia from disaster. Okay, Eagle 5, coming in. Lone Star. First, they must learn the secrets of yogurt. Yogurt? I am the keeper of a greater magic. The Force? No, the Schwartz. Avoid capture on a distant planet. Tell them to comb the desert, you hear me? Comb the desert! Found anything yet? We ain't found... Battle the entire Spaceball Army. Shut my ear! Holy! And escape the clutches of Dark Helmet. I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Abandon ship, proceed to escape pods! What the hell's the matter with this seatbelt? When does this happen in the movie? Spaceballs, the movie. How do I know you're not making faces at me under that thing? <laughs> I really wanted to, instead of just saying Spaceballs, wanted to do a cool, like, Spaceballs. <laughs> oh, yeah, your face does interesting things when <laughs> yeah. you say it. Yeah, I got a face for radio. I've been <laughs> oh, told that a lot. No, you have the handsomest face in the world. All right, Spaceballs. When was the first time you saw Spaceballs? It would have been high school. I would not have been allowed to watch that as a child. Really? It never even came on TV? No. Okay. Oh, you seem disappointed. No, I'm kind I was just of disgusted. expecting a bit more of a story. Your face now looks like you just smelled a fart. I'm sorry. Yeah, I have a face for radio, I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> By nobody. You uh, just told me it. No! I've just said your very handsome face looks like it's sniffing farts right now. Oh, yeah. That's what every every companion loves to hear. Farts of judgment. Anyway, yeah, it was high school. Um, it might have even been you who showed it to me. I don't know. Probably. We've been dating since we were babies, so I don't know. 
Somewhere along those lines. I'm going to go ahead and interrupt and correct you. We have not been dating since we were babies. Yes, we were betrothed (laughs) at birth. Fun fact for our listeners. Our parents sent, um, you know, some letters out into the world and they're like looking for spouse for my baby. And our parents each responded to each other. It was great. Okay. Betrothed since birth. Yeah. All right. Agree to disagree. (laughs) Anyway, when did you first see Spaceballs? I saw Spaceballs. (laughs) Spaceballs. I saw it when um, (laughs) I was very young, probably when it came out. I didn't see it in the theater. But I definitely had it on home video like everybody else right away. And we were talking last episode during Big Trouble in Little China about movies we've seen a ridiculous amount of times. Mm -hmm. This would probably be up there in the top five, somewhere up there. If I was to try and just off the top of my head say films I've seen a ridiculous amount growing up would Mm be definitely Big Trouble in Little China, Golden Child... Uh, Escape from New York. Goonies. Well, Goonies is like number one. Labyrinth would probably be number two. But this Spaceballs is, it's right there with all of them. These were, this was the the shelf of tapes I had and Spaceballs was one of them. You pre-laugh at every joke. Yeah, one of those annoying guys (laughs) who has to like pre-do the joke. Yeah. (laughs) You do, but it's charming. Yeah, sure it is. Uh, Spaceballs is a really funny movie that's very um childish humor in all the right ways it just you don't need to really go in expecting much mm-hmm. the one thing i will say and the older i get i'm surprised at this and i'm not saying this to be funny i'm being serious okay it holds up as just an enjoyable movie like on its own right and i read a quote with george lucas talking to mel brooks about this and he said you know the spoof is really fun but it's actually just a good movie without yeah. the spoof. Like, the, the characters are great. The story's easy to follow. It's a fun adventure. Well, truly, I saw this movie before I saw Star Wars. So it was a lot all, of people did. Yeah. all over my head. Like, all of the jokes. I got them years later. So, absolutely. Yeah, I was uh, listening to... I watched a, a making of, I think, or a documentary. And I think it was Bill Pullman who said that a lot of kids hadn't even seen Star Wars and never knew that this was a spoof. Mm -hmm. They just thought it was a fun adventure movie. Yep. And then somebody else chimed in and said, that's the sign of good satire, that it can just stand on its own, you know. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about this. The production is pretty interesting. So as we mentioned already, it was written and directed and produced by the legendary Mel Brooks, Mm -hmm. who we would know from things like Young Frankenstein and... Blazing Saddles and the producers and everything else. History of the world. So mm-hmm. he had already been around for a long time. He's very, a very, very big personality. He was a big personality, big player. And I think around 1985 or so, he was looking for his next idea and realized that he had already spoofed horror with Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. He had spoofed Westerns with... Uh, Blazing, Blazing Saddles. Saddles. He had spoofed silent films. I mean, he'd done all this already. But he hadn't done space yet. And he thought, oh, that's a really untapped resource right there to make fun of. Which I agree, it really is. The final frontier of comedy. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) To boldly go where no comedian has gone before. (laughs) No, there had been space spoofs. um, You know, like 
Flesh Gordon and stuff like that is one of them. Good. There's oxygen on, There's this. Oxygen on this planet. <laughs> but I mean, there'd been plenty, but I think that it really was untapped and in a way that Mel Brooks could do. So because he was an actual, sincerely dedicated fan of Star Wars, he really did love Star Wars. He didn't want to just make fun of it and then go on his way. He wanted full buy-in uh, from George Lucas himself. So he contacted mm. him, sent him the script and said, look, if there's anything in there that really offends you, I'll take it out. But I really want you to be OK with with what I'm doing. And to his surprise, George Lucas thought it was hilarious, was immediately on board and gave his 100% approval, which I love. I loved hearing that story because I thought it was going to kind of go another way about, you know, money and stuff. But he said, I love it. love everything about it. Keep everything. It's hilarious. And gave his full blessing to go forward. There's a little caveat, though, a little footnote in this. And as the story goes, now kind of legendary in the lure of... Mel Brooks is on one condition, of course. You can you can use any character, spoof it fully and entirely, the original story, which he did, any way you want, except do not release any merchandise from the movie because I don't want kids to get confused with Star Wars. Mm. Which, looking back on it now, as we were just talking, a lot of kids who hadn't maybe seen Star Wars would have been confused. Yeah. So... Mel Brooks said, you know what? Sure, I don't care if I can spoof this, you know, entirely on my own. Sure, we can kind of axe the whole idea of merchandising. Mm-hmm. And as a play on that, that's why we'll find out later, Yogurt, you know, his whole thing is making a side hustle in the galaxy on selling merchandise of Spaceballs the movie. And that was really just a, a conversation about that so real he, life decision. He added that in then after. Yeah. And so I really, I think that's really funny. And to this day, he said he still thinks it's probably one of the funniest jokes he's put in a movie is to make fun of the merchandising agreement that he made with George Lucas. But for fans of the film like ourselves... I'm not a huge toy collector, but man, it would be really, really fun to have those little figures and a little flying Winnebago. Yeah. I mean, they just are perfect for toys or a little pull string yogurt, you know, that says, may the Schwartz be with you. I think it would be funny, but we're not going to get that. Uh, we'll talk about that at the end. There is possibility that that may change as of really last year, but oh, okay. or, or more recently, I would say, but we'll get to it anyway. So. He, he came up with this idea. The original film was called Planet Moron, but in 1985, there was a British film being made called Morons from Outer Space, and Mel Brooks was like, okay, I don't want that confused either. We need yeah. to come up with something else. So he and his fellow writers were sitting around toying with the idea of space something, and I think it was Mel Brooks who shouted out balls, just being funny, and they all thought it was hilarious and decided to roll with space balls as the name. And that's what actually then kind of dictated the costume design of the ball uh-huh. helmets that they all wear because they're all space balls. So the name came forward. He got permission from George Lucas. And you would think that would be enough. But Mel Brooks, the one thing about Mel Brooks, I don't know if people haven't seen interviews with him or know a lot about him. He's really funny and he's out there and goofy, but he's also like a really serious filmmaker at the core. As a producer, he takes his job really seriously. And one of the things that he decided early on was that 
if he was going to do a space movie, he wasn't going to do a cheap version of it. He wanted it to look like an actual space movie. And when he was hiring on his special effects guys, he was telling them, this needs to look as good as, if not better than, Star Wars from the time yeah. and Star Trek the series, all these kinds of things. Like, this isn't just a joke. Right? This needs to be a real space movie. And I think to his credit, that decision is why kids didn't really need to know Sp- Star Wars in yeah. order to enjoy it. Good because it, even on rewatch every year, it's it holds up as a space odyssey. I mean, it's fun. It's yeah. an adventure. And we'll talk about why it looks so good even a little bit later. But normally we don't get into the whole uh, crew. We talk more about cast. But in this case, I want to take just a moment because one of the things about Spaceballs that people maybe don't understand or appreciate is that Mel Brooks surrounded himself with like the best of the best for this spoof. I mean, most people would just be okay with like... The simple, you know, nitty gritty, let's just make a comedy. He called in his favors. He really did call in the big guns for all this. And it's kind of incredible. The cinematographer who did a fantastic job is Nick McLean. He did Goonies, Short Circuit. I mean, all kinds of movies. I'm Staying Alive. All these like major films. So he he was the professional on set and everybody talked about him. You know, he really was just this high caliber of cinematographer that was shooting space balls. And he was all in uh, the interview with him. He was having a blast. Like they were all just joking and having fun. Terrence Marsh was the production designer. This guy did, you know, Hunt for the Red October, Shawshank Redemption. I mean, these guys all went on to win and be nominated for Academy Awards. These weren't just like goofy guys hanging out. Uh, this guy who goes by one name, like a true diva, Donfeld, who's a Wait, legendary. Donfeld? One name. D-O-N-F-E-L-D. All right. He was like old school Hollywood, like a legendary. From the 60s, he was like this legend that had done all these films, and they brought him in. And he's the one that did all the costume designs for all the characters. And I've seen what the original sketches look like, and they're pretty true to form, but mm-hmm. they're really stunning and pretty incredible costume designs. So already, you know, we're not going to go into everybody else just yet, but already he's got this like A-list crew behind him being like, if we're going to do this, let's let's really do it. Yeah. I would say the other big thing is it had a big budget. This was... To date, uh, and he would later, I think, do one film that maybe was a little bit more than this, but this was way, way bigger than anything else he had ever Mm. ever done. I think the producers had like a million dollar budget. This had a $22 million budget, and a huge chunk of that was on special effects. Oh, I bet uh, the cast, too. And the cast, but the special effects, he knew if he was going to do it, he was going to need a huge budget for it. Interestingly, in the turn of events, speaking of the, the crew... He had screened a rough cut for George Lucas, Uh and George Lucas thought it was so incredibly funny that he said, you know what, why don't you just use my effects company that did Star Wars and everything? So all the effects in post are done by George Lucas's company, Industrial Light and Magic. So he like lent him the team basically and said, let's just, let's go all in. And I think that that is so funny. Like, sweet These George Lucas was on board. Yeah, like he was really on board with Spaceballs. <laughs> and, you know, we not to get too far ahead, but when it all was said and done, 
he he was so proud of it. He just thought it was uh-huh. an excellent comedy and that Mel Brooks just knocked it out of the park and was thrilled to be a part of it. So, yeah. I mean, I just, to set the stage, I know I talked a little bit at length about it, but I think it's important because oftentimes with comedies, especially with spoofs, they're kind of dummied down in yeah. pop culture. And I don't know if people quite realize just how serious some of these filmmakers take these spoofs. Yeah, this is weird because we have like base level humor, but also like references to Kafka. It's so yeah, yeah, all, it's over, all the place. over the place. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. But you know, it is it is interesting because I was worried, as I always am when when we watch these '80s movies that we treasure, like. Will it hold up? Am I going to be offended? Oh, yeah. How many jokes are going to be super offensive? It wasn't very bad. I mean, there's a lot of, like, Jewish jokes, but Mel Brooks is Jewish. So, you know, whatever. You get to make jokes at your own expense. Did you hear him talk about that, by the way? No. Especially the line of the Jewish princess. Oh, yes. (laughs) He said he was really disappointed. He wrote that in the first place and then kept it in. But then he also said one of the things he loves the most about Spaceballs are all the dumb Jewish jokes that he put in there. So I I guess, yeah, you know, you'd kind of for me, I mean, I'm not Jewish, but also that's Mel Brooks. And I guess I, I don't even give it a second thought. Because why are you watching a Mel Brooks film if you're going to be offended by Jewish humor? Like, that's just part of his yeah. his whole thing. So I guess I didn't even really consider it. And when I watch movies that he's done, I expect it. Yeah, and that's only, like, that's fine. I You know, he can do whatever he wants. But it was more like, in general, are there going to be, like, super sexist things? There's a little bit, you know, but it's not as bad it's, as I thought. It's pretty playful, and it's, it's just pretty classic 80s, too. Yeah. It's nothing, it, yeah. nothing like things we've covered in the past. So <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I will say that, too. I was a little, I haven't seen it in maybe a couple years. I, I, well, I'll say this. I, I used to watch it a lot more. I haven't seen it since we started the podcast, mm-hmm. and we've talked about this a lot in the past, and our fellow podcaster friends can kind of vouch for this. You, when you watch a movie that you've seen a hundred times, but you watch it for the first time once you're running a podcast, you see it in a totally different yeah. way, and you're hyper aware of the tone, yeah. the humor, because you have to talk about it. And this was, I have not seen it since we started the podcast, and I was like, well... <laughs> Buckle in. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how Spaceballs holds up. And I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it. Everything was at worst mildly offensive, uh, and that was even, at the yeah. very worst. So it holds up. Go watch it. It's fine. I would show it to my children. Most of the jokes would be over their head anyway. This is actually one of the only films from the era, along with Beetlejuice, and I know a couple, one or two others. That drops the F-bomb oh, with, a, yeah. with a PG rating. And shit, too. Well, yeah, by an asshole. I mean, how many assholes yeah. are in here? So, oh, yeah. <laughs> But that's kind of just typical 80s humor. But I was yeah. surprised by, you know, by some of the language. But then again, I mean, that was just, again, that's it, 80s. That's so weird, too, from, like, Logan's run getting PG in the 70s. Then 80s got super hyper aware, like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should actually make our ratings mean something, and then they loosened it. I don't know where we're I at I felt now. like the ratings in the 80s were more concerned about nudity than language. Yeah, I think you're right. Because think about Goonies and stuff like that. Granted, I think that's PG-13, but parents weren't worried about watching kids watching movies with bad language, mm-hmm. but they would lose their mind 
Over if, like a nipple? Yeah, if there was a nipple or something. <laughs> or even in Goonies with the, the whole penis breaking off the statue oh, scene. Yeah. Like that's all edited out for TV. So like how <laughs> how dare there be a, a, you know, a penis on a statue? No, human anatomy is not real. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go into our cast here. Obviously, this film has an enormous cast. So I'll just be a little concise here. Our hero, Lone Star, is played by Bill Pullman. He was actually pretty much a nobody. He yeah. had a few little odd uh, odd jobs here and there. But um, originally it was cast for James Caan. But he was having some uh, like addiction <laughs> issues. He was in his Dennis Hopper era. Yeah. yeah. I, I think Dennis Hopper was also in his Dennis Hopper era at that <laughs> <Yeah>. time. <laughs> so... Um, Mel Brooks had also... Oh, for sure. This is 86. This yeah. is the exact same year as Blue Velvet. Um, Mel Brooks had also tried for Tom Cruise or Tom Hanks. Whichever. So Bill Pullman ends up taking the job. I think Tom Cruise would have been weird. Tom Hanks probably would have been a delight. Tom Cruise, 86. This would have been around Legend era mm. also. So. Well, Tom Cruise isn't like funny. I just don't think he would have had that kind of... Because you do have to have that Han Solo-esque quality. Like comedy swagger. Yeah, that's like a cocky idiot. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, our other big guy, well, we've got a few, <laughs> more than a few, Rick Moranis, who oh, is he's... the treasure of the universe. He plays Dark Helmet. I mean, Rick Moranis, this for me, I know this is controversial. I love Ghostbusters too, but... I mean, Dark Helmet, Spaceballs, it's one of my, if not all-time favorite roles of Rick Moranis. I, you know, I don't, I, I've watched all of these, and I always associate Rick Moranis with Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, it's a great film. Well, I think that's the first time I ever saw him, because it came out, like, r- right right at the right time that I think I saw it in the theater before I even saw Ghostbusters. Rick Moranis is... He's so understated as an actor, um, but if you hear people talk about him, yeah. what he was like in his heyday, and this is the golden era of Rick Moranis right here. This is like when he's in his prime. Yeah, uh, Mel Brooks talked about him, and he said he's 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 one of those actors that's a pain in the ass because he takes his job so seriously. Yeah. And that he was the most dedicated person on set, and that he was constantly coming up with ideas. He also trying to, like, invested. In the film. Oh, he was a producer? I believe so, yes. Oh, I didn't know that. But he was just saying that he was so funny and sharp and um, improvising a lot and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And I think that maybe that's something that doesn't get associated with Rick Moranis a lot, that he has that background in improv and he knows how to do this. And there are a couple key scenes we'll get to later where he shines. And Dark Helmet for me, he's just, there's so much subtlety to his performance Mm -hmm. That when you watch it, he's like captivating. You just cannot take your eyes off of him playing this over-the-top ridiculous character. But it's like he's all in with this character, too. Yeah, it's so believable. Absolutely. Like he's a like terrible, like kind of Napoleon-esque to me. Yeah. Uh, style guy. But, you know, obviously in real life, he's a gem of a person. And I don't actually know him, but I presume. <laughs> But he actually suggested John Candy play the character Barf, the the Mog, who is the sidekick of Lone Star. So Mog is Mandog. He's his own best friend. 
Yes. And uh, <laughs> I actually read that John Candy, they were trying out different ways to make him look like a dog. Uh, and first they had full like facial prosthetics. And Mel Brooks is like, if I was going to do that, I would hire somebody cheaper. <laughs> yeah, why would I put him in here and yeah. cover his face? Yeah, so they settled for, you can tell it's John Candy. And there were two people, one person controlling one ear, one person controlling another. A 30-pound battery pack, and he had a little handheld device that he used to wag his tail. It's great. His tail, in particular, cracks me up. Yes. I mean, it's played to good effect. I think that's one of the areas in the film where the humor lands really well, is when he's constantly turning in the tight quarters of the cabin and smacking Bill Pullman in the face with his tail. Just because we've all had that dog that constantly like just whacks you in the face with a tail. Yep. But the idea of a grown man with one doing it is really funny. I, I thought that was one of the areas that, that just lands really well. It's just like a subtle humor throughout the whole film. Uh, Princess Vespa is played by Daphne. I think it's Zuniga. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing. No, I think that's right. Yeah. Uh, whom Brooks had seen in a Rob Reiner film. And he just had her in mind for the part right from the beginning. And honestly, as I said, the cast list is so bonkers that I'm just going to kind of name drop as we go through the film. Yeah, there's a bunch. But what do you think of this core cast? Oh, it's solid. I and mean, Mel Brooks. I mean, he plays two of the biggest characters in the film. As yeah, well. we'll get to him. Yeah. Um, I love Bill Pullman. I think Daphne has... I'm surprised I didn't see her in more. She's really great. She's yeah. also just kind of like... Uh, she She's kind of captivating on film. Like she yeah. commands... She demands your attention. I mean, it's just mm-hmm. really... Especially the scene when she's got the gun and she's shooting everybody, mm-hmm. you know, as they're about to get in the Winnebago. She just sells the whole character really well. And... I was watching an interview with her and she was really nervous because she hadn't done comedy before. Oh. And she was like, there's no way I'm going to get hired. And Mel Brooks said he knew she was a great actress and just told her, play it straight because that's part of comedy is yep. when there's somebody who doesn't quite know what they're doing and plays it straight. Like they're in a situation where they're way too serious. Yeah. And everything around them is absurd. And I think she sells it really well. I, she I does. really like the cast in this film. Yes. Another interesting part about this film is the music. Uh, yeah. We were talking about how Mel Brooks really brought in the big guns, and he spared no expense as well with the soundtrack. The soundtrack was done by his longtime collaborator, John Morris. We talk about this a lot with major directors. They have their person that they go to. Uh, David Lynch with Angelo Badalamente, Tim Burton with Danny Elfman. We talk about it all the time. They, mm-hmm. So John Morris was one of Mel Brooks' guys. He was his composer. He had done everything, back from the producers, Blazing Saddles, Young Frankenstein, everything. And this soundtrack is so polished and over the top. It's a also a spoof in a way. It's a play on John Williams' score for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. But it's not a cheap version. You know when you see all these spoofs that come years later on Star Wars, how it's always kind of like a Cheesy. generic knockoff? Mm-hmm. This is a world-class composer <laughs> and it's hilarious to me that he's doing space balls and it's so good it's like a really awesome hollywood score hence the enormous budget yeah and you know john john morris just does such a great job it's one of the few things we talked about merchandising not getting released one of the few things that did get physically released was 
Spaceballs, the soundtrack, <laughs> and, uh, you know, on vinyl, mm-hmm. which I've yet to find. I still don't own it, and I would love to find it someday. But speaking of John Morris, I have this week's fun fact. Whoa! <laughs> John Morris, the composer, was Oscar nominated for The Elephant Man, produced by Mel Brooks, directed by none other than David Lynch. Mm. Why do I mention this? Because Mel Brooks is the one responsible for giving David Lynch his first big break in Hollywood by asking him to direct The Elephant Man after seeing head and being blown away at his kind of creative vision. Yeah. What a bizarre twist, because when I was looking into the credits of Spaceballs, I saw John Morris. I know him, and I knew that he had done some of Mel Brooks stuff, but I never really put two and two together, because for me, John Morris always sticks out as being the composer of The Elephant Man. Why? Because it's one of the only films David Lynch has ever done that wasn't composed by Angelo Badalamenti. So I'm always like, oh, and then there's John Morris. And I have the score. It's incredible. But there's your tie-in right there. Weird. You know, just a, a couple years earlier, Mel Brooks had approached David Lynch and said, I want to produce The Elephant Man. You direct it, and I'm going to give you my composer, John Morris. So... What a strange, interesting world. Imagine walking into a room, like you're just a temp, and you walk into a room, and there's David Lynch and Mel Brooks. (laughs) I feel like my brain would melt, and I would just do the worm out. Do you remember we watched um, Pretty as a Picture, the documentary on David Lynch, and there's a section in there with Mel Brooks talking about the first time he met him, Mm -hmm. and he was expecting this incredibly bizarre, eccentric artist to walk through after seeing a racer head yeah it was i think he was expecting like a tim burton yeah and instead he got this like is literally his top button buttoned like david lynch does nerdy kind of preppy looking guy walk in and, mm-hmm. and that was david lynch and yep. uh the rest is history anyway i thought that was interesting fantastic score on on space balls but also a really great score on elephant man yeah double win double win You're just learning all kinds of stuff today, everybody. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Dishing out the goods. All right. We've all seen this film, I think. I would... Maybe. I would assume most have by now. Let's do a little bit of a review of the plot. Yes. Just so we can get our bearings here. In case maybe it's been a while since you've seen it. Or you're a weirdo and you're listening to this without having seen it. (laughs) That's strange, but okay. I like it. I think this is a pretty precious film for many, many people. Maybe you're listening to this for the first time because you're like, really indecisive and you're thinking should I or shouldn't I watch it you were sitting in your room you were holding it or you had it pulled up on some streaming device and you're like do I click yes do I click no I'm gonna listen to an hour-long podcast before I make the choice if I'm gonna watch this hour and a half long movie if I'm gonna go back to the thrift store and spend 99 cents on that VHS well, we're going to spoil it for you. It's so worth it. It's worth the 99 cents. Maybe go watch it and then come back. <laughs> okay. The planet Spaceball is all out of air. And President Scroob, uh, played by Mel Brooks, which it's 
Just his Brooks. name. Yeah. yeah. Scrooge Brooks. Okay. He plans to steal the oxygen from planet Druidia. <laughs> the whole plan basically is to kidnap the princess Vespa, played by Daphne Zuniga, and ransom her for the code to their oxygen shield. No. This is the whole plan. This is the whole movie. Such a great idea. So we have the ships, Baseball One, captained by Colonel Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> Which he is so good in this movie. It's George Weiner, but do you know who originally was maybe wanted? I don't know how serious it ever got for no. this part. Steve Martin. He would have done a great job too, actually. He would have, but I'm glad that they didn't choose him because Steve Martin's really, really, really a big personality. And yeah. we've got so many big personalities. No. It would have been too much to keep track of. Perfect cast for Colonel Sanders because he is so funny. Like his delivery, his playoff of Rick Moranis, mm-hmm. like their dynamics are, are excellent. He really stands out as just kind of... Um, you just don't notice him at first because of all these really big stars in the film. But when you go back and you rewatch it, he is really solid in this. He is. So he is the captain of the ship, but it's being kind of commanded by Dark Helmet, played by <laughs> Rick Moranis. Obviously, this is a play on Darth Vader, although his helmet is incredibly large and penile. It's, and that's intentional. So is his tie. His tie is just a penis. Yep. But it's funny because he's like five five or five six in real life five six yeah and he's got this giant helmet which he so he's got his his glasses he looks like ghostbusters you know rick moranis yes and he's nerdy but he's every time he puts the front down he flips the helmet down he goes into this ridiculous like play on you know james earl jones voice yep. which is his actual voice it's really funny did you read up on this Yes, I did. He got really into it. He does like an accent. It's a whole thing. This was his decision. This was not written into the (laughs) script either. This is Rick Moranis coming up with a bright idea, which is when I flip my the front down, I'm going to go into this cool dark helmet voice. Yes, of which course. I could not imagine Spaceballs without this voice. It's the only logical conclusion. Anyway, they are able to track down Princess Vespa, who has just escaped her about to be wedding to, what's his name? Prince? Prince Valium. Yes. And so she has run off and they capture her. They're starting to pull her in like with a tractor beam. Uh, she's only with her robot sidekick, Dot Matrix, who is, <laughs> yes, Dot Matrix. Let that sink in. She's like a female C-3PO. Yeah. she's She looks like a metal Joan Rivers, and she's actually voiced by Joan Rivers, but she's played by an actress named Lorene Yarnell. Joan was brought in later. Yeah, she, and we need to give credit to the original actress, too, because in the making of... I, I saw that their first scenes that they ever filmed for the whole film was in the desert in Arizona. Oh, man. It was in Yuma, yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, they were saying, Bill Pullman was saying, you know, it was like 100 plus, and oh. she was in that full costume. And Daphne was saying it was really sad because they would take breaks and she would pull off the helmet and just be drenched in sweat. <sighs> And that it was like 120 plus inside oh of that costume. And they were trying to film it. So she's acting, which she's, that's why she was cast. She could do these really good mechanical moves and have yeah. fun with it. But one interview with Mel Brooks, he said she just wasn't really sticking the humor very well. She was getting the body language really well. 
And so he called up Joan Rivers and said, will you come just do some, basically, she just got to freestyle the one-liners yeah, and sat in a booth for a day and came up with all this nonsense. And she said, but I didn't see the movie. I didn't know what the movie was about. I just was on board because I trusted Mel Brooks. And um, I think for years after, she really struggled because people would call out, oh, Spaceballs. And she would be like, well, I wasn't actually in it. I just did a voice. And then she said at one point, she finally just gave up. And she was like, yep, I was in Spaceballs. She was, though. She's a huge character. She's a huge part of it. The robot looks like her. And it's it does kind of look like her, doesn't it? looks it? a lot like her. Yes. All right. So Dot Matrix and... Princess Vespa are being pulled into Spaceball One when all of a sudden Lone Star and Barf rescue her because they were hired by her father, King Roland, who's played by Dick Van Patten. Yeah. If you're old, you remember him. If you're our age, you know he makes dog food now. Hmm. Okay. That's right. So Lone Star has taken this job, not because he's a kind-hearted soul, but he's deeply indebted to Pizza the Hut. Yeah, let's talk about Pizza the Hut. Pizza the Hut is Job of the Hut, but made of pizza. Real pizza. Did you know that? No. It's real cheese and real pizza. And then his sidekick, Vinny, who is like a Max Hedrum character. Yep. <laughs> really great. Actually, there's a story that on set, I think it was voiced by Dom DeLuise, but on set, they had uh, all these wires and stuff going into the pizza to keep it actually bubbling and hot and boiling. And it caught on fire at one point and he was being smoked out inside. And they had to pizza suit. Imagine dying in pizza. (laughs) In a giant pizza suit. Oh, that's good. It's really interesting that even in a spoof, we are spoofing famous characters that you have your spoof character become Iconic. crazy famous yeah. too. Because Pizza the Hut is iconic. Yeah. That's a hard hard thing to pull off, I would it's say. It's great. I mean, it's perfect. It is really funny. All right. So now we have our gang of four, and they escape at a reasonable pace of light speed. Spaceball one overshoots <laughs> under Dark Helmet's instruction at ludicrous speed and eventually goes plaid. <laughs> I read that the Teslas now, I I don't actually know this to be true because I don't have a Tesla because I'm not rich, but I've heard that the Teslas have like ludicrous speed and plaid. Really? Yep. Interesting. That's like uh, the the Teslas you say, like open your butthole and and the gas tank opens. What? Yeah. Wait, what? Yeah. Are you for real? It's, it's like voice activated to that? I, I believe so, unless it's a weird trick that the youngsters are pulling on me. Okay, I think you just got... <laughs> Hold on. What's it called when you're not a millennial? What's the next one? But I am a millennial. No, but I'm saying you just got you got joked on by the next generation. What are they? I don't know. X, no, not... Gen X. Z. Gen Z? No, they're not Gen Z. That's not real. <laughs> Is there... There's got to be a name for them, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, hold on, look it up. So what's the name of the next generation? Okay, hold on. I'm going to look up Tesla buttholes and Gen Z. Oh, I can't wait to see what Google Images brings up. Open and close butthole command for the charge port. So open and close. I thought I would try it out after seeing a few videos. So this is for my Tesla Model 3. 
All you have to do is just hit the right scroll wheel to activate the voice command. Open butthole. Okay. Confirmed. Okay, that's... It says close butthole. Okay. Okay, now Gen Z. I'm right. I'm just right all the time. Never doubt me. Gen Z, colloquially known as Zoomers, is the demographic cohort succeeding millennials and preceding Generation Alpha. There's a new one already? Okay, so wait, what are they called? Gen Z Zoomers. That's a dumb name. Sorry, Zoomers, you got hosed. Generation Alpha, is that our children? I don't know, but let's go back to this Generation Z. Yeah, Zoomers. Okay, I good to know. I didn't realize that was the name of them. Put all the Zoomers and the Boomers together. World peace, the end. <laughs> I don't think that's how that would work. Close butthole. I think it butthole. would be world judgment. <laughs> no. Close butthole. <laughs> I like how you were disgusted with me when I first said it. It's not me, it's Tesla. Okay, Tesla also maybe probably has uh, ludicrous speed in plaid. I love ludicrous ludicrous speed. It's so funny. I love Rick Moranis in this scene when he's holding on for dear life and he's questioning what he's done. (laughs) It's really funny. In the, the Lone Star and the gang, they end up stranded on a desert moon planet, Vega. The group, uh, they try to find, like, help because they've run out of gas, but they all overheat and pass out in the desert sun, but they're rescued by the Dinks and taken (laughs) to the cave where they meet Yogurt, who is also played by uh, Mel Brooks, who is just wearing knee pads. Yeah, and he just looks like kind of like Yoda a little bit. But, like, gold. I heard that he had horrible skin reaction to the makeup. Yeah, and the Dinks all have names in the novelization. Written by, you know, don't you? I do know. R.L. Stein. Yes. Is this pre-Goosebumps or right as Goosebumps is happening? I don't know. Did you just whoop whoop? Did you just juggalo call? (laughs) (laughs) Trying to bring in new listeners, are you? Okay. Gen Z would have something to say about that. Whatever. Get behind me, millennials. Okay. Close butthole. (laughs) We've gone off the rails. Okay. Rescued by the Dinks. Meet Yogurt. Brooks, as Yogurt, shows Lone Star the power of the Schwartz and gives him a magical ring. We also see that Lone Star is trying to find out the meaning behind his necklace, which he's an orphan. And it's like uh, locked in with his origin origin story. Yogurt tells him, "Yeah, I know what that necklace is all about, but it's not time here. Take a fortune cookie. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Let's go back to Spaceball One, where we have Helmet and San- Sanders. Um, they're watching the movie Spaceballs, the movie that we're watching. So we've broken the fourth okay, wall. Slow down a second. We need to spend some time on this scene because oh. it's pretty brilliant, actually. I think." Lost in the middle of a silly comedy is a moment of, like, pure genius. It's really, really interesting. Very self-aware. Yes, they choose to be like, we're in the middle of making a movie. We've lost plot. And we're going to watch the movie 
They're trying to find them in the desert. In, in order to find yeah. Lone Star and Vespa. So they go over to Mr. Rental, which is just a cabinet that opens up. And it's got a bunch of VHS movies in it, mm-hmm. including all of Mel Brooks' films. Mm-hmm. His actual movies are sitting there on the shelf. And they go over to Spaceballs the movie, <laughs> which just looks like the one you own. Mm-hmm. But it's being made currently. And they're like, how is this possible? And then they put it in the VCR. They fast forward. I like how they get to the scene of, of Rick Moranis flying through while they're going through Ludicrous Feet. And he's like, no, no, keep going. Never show that again. And then they get to where they're actually at. And it's one of those effects where if you hook up a, a video camera to a TV and then you film yourself, you can see it kind of multiplied at the same time. Uh-huh. It's so clever the way it's done. And they're like, we're here. It's now. Mm -hmm. Actually, there's a really funny line right there. We should play it of them trying to explain what's happening. What the hell am I looking at? When does this happen in the movie? Now. You're looking at now, sir. Everything that happens now is happening now. What happened to then? We passed then. When? Just now. We're at now now. Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now. I can't. Why? We missed it. When? Just now. When will then be now? Soon. And then ultimately they see by fast forwarding that the other group is in the desert and that's where they need to go. All that is to say that this is a random scene in a comedy from the 80s, but it's actually like really well done. Yes. It's so cool. It's brilliant. And then uh, now that they know our group of four is in the desert, they're instructed to comb the desert of Vega looking (laughs) for Vespa and Dot Matrix and they literally comb the desert with giant combs. Yep, and two guys with a giant pick who are not happy about uh, having to comb the desert. How bad do I want a giant comb or a giant yeah, pick? They are really cool looking. So cool. Where are they now? Why are they not? I actually, in that like possession? the giant uh, blow dryer that Vespa had too. Yeah, yeah, all great. So they're combing the desert. And eventually they do capture Princess Vespa and Dot Matrix. They take them back to Planet Spaceball and they threaten her with nose job reversal in order to get her father, King Roland, again, played by Dick Van Patten, dog food maker. Mm-hmm. He He's like, no, no, don't give her back her nose. They like show a profile shot of an insane nose. King Roland does not want his daughter's nose to go back to its original state. And he releases the code to the air shield. Yeah, which is another iconic scene where the code's finally released and it's one two three four five mm-hmm. <laughs> which i reference a lot in in my job when we have to come up with like passcodes <laughs> and nobody at your job gets it i always say let's do one two three four five <laughs> and nobody ever gets it <laughs> okay so princess vespa is put into prison at this point and screw begins using a giant maid holding a vacuum like a a robot made to suck up the air on planet Druidia. Yeah, well, it's Spaceball One. Yes, transforms the actual ship yes. itself transforms into a giant maid. And meanwhile, Lone Star and Barf come back to rescue Vespa and Dot. Mm-hmm. They find Vespa. <laughs> 
in a prison cell singing to herself hopelessly like one does while in jail. Yes. She's singing Nobody Knows. And I read that Mel Brooks offered to have somebody else do that singing. And she's like, no, I got this. I'm so glad they let her do it because it makes me laugh so hard. They come around and they look at it and she's singing it. And it's so funny. So good. Yeah. So good. One of my favorite moments in yeah. this movie. So Vespa and Dot are rescued. And then Lone Star uses the Schwartz, because remember, he has the ring. He's been taught the power of the Schwartz. And he uses it to flip the switch from on to off on the giant vacuum that's Baseball 1. And there's a showdown now. So the vacuum has stopped sucking the air from planet Druidia. And there's a showdown between Helmet and Lone Star, where they each reveal their... (laughs) their powers to each other <laughs> yeah yeah the showdown's really funny but i would say because they've got their like lightsabers that they use with their rings it actually looks really good again because yeah, it's got it the, the, the right kind of effects company but there is a line that that rick moranis <laughs> fires off here which is probably one of my favorite lines in the whole movie uh when he's trying to explain to lone star how Pointless his attempts are, and he Mm. says this. So, Lone Star, now you see that evil will always triumph because good is dumb. Again, I think it's just Rick Moranis being really on it. He's just Just on in this film. Rick Moranis, yes. So, obviously, Lone Star wins this battle, and Helmet accidentally pushes the self destruct. Uh, button on the Mega Maid vacuum. And everyone else ex- escapes except Scrooge, Sanders, and Helmet, who become trapped in the head of yeah. this maid, this Mega Maid, and they are ejected and land on the planet of the apes. <laughs> That is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. There was a um, like myth going on that original actors from Planet of the Apes were there, but that's not true. I just want to crush everybody's dreams. Yeah, but that's not the only little homage to other sci-fi films we get Mm-mm. before this movie ends. We learn that Pizza the Hut has died, and all of the money for saving Princess Vespa gets to go to uh, Lone Star and Barf. Yeah. They return Princess Vespa and Dot to Druidia, and she's scheduled to marry Princess Prince Valium. Um, but she learns that they didn't actually take the money. They just took some, like, gas money and money for lunch. <laughs> and they go out for lunch at a space diner where we get a delightful cameo by John Hurt, who had who's from Alien. And the Elephant Man. And he had thought he was just doing a super quick cameo, but when he showed up on set, he realized he's doing a full reenactment of the (laughs) Alien chest scene from Alien. So, like, the whole thing. It happens there at the diner, and he he jokingly said he really should have asked for money. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because I don't think he got paid. You know what's funny is you were talking about kids not seeing Star Wars before seeing this. Mm -hmm. I had not seen the very first Alien Mm. before seeing Spaceballs. So this scene was always just the Spaceballs scene. Oh. And George Lucas's company created the little creature that pops out of him and does the, hello, (laughs) my baby, hello, my darling. (laughs) Uh, And I've always just associated that with 
with space balls oh, until years later. I think I was in high school when I finally saw Alien and I was like, oh, weird. That's what that is. I knew instantly not having seen Alien yet, but because it had been so prevalent in pop culture that I knew about the chest bursting scene. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I just never caught that growing huh. up. We never had it, never had access to it. So when I saw it later as a teen, it's like, oh, so many references in pop culture now are making hmm. sense. And that being one of them, the, the space ball scene. Naturally, um, uh, Lone Star and Barf lose their appetite after seeing the alien chest bursting scene, or at least their appetite for food from this particular diner. So they decide to open the fortune cookie and <laughs> yogurt appears and he reveals that uh, Lone Star is actually a prince. Yeah. So he can marry Drew Lydia. They go back. I like, when, I like when he's done giving the message and then he's fading away. His vision is fading. And he's like, what a world, what a world. As he's fading. It's so stupid. Yes. And Lone Star and, Drew, er, and Vespa get married. The final scene shows the Eagle Five uh, flying off into the stars. And I read that in Independence Day, Bill Pullman's character, when he's like talking over the radio, calls himself Eagle One. I don't, I don't know if it's a, con- a connection or a coincidence. I but would say it would be. I wouldn't put it past him. Anyway, the glowing exhaust reveals a message that says, "May the Schwartz be with you." That's right. And Bill Pullman would go on to work with David Lynch. It's all one big happy family. Mm, and Will Smith. Man, what did you think of this film? That's a delight. There's a lot going on, a lot to take in. Yeah, we didn't even kind of touch on the humor. It's like joke after joke. It is nonstop. I would say, for the most part, almost all of it lands really well. Some it's, of it's a little flat, but not not really. It's definitely dated. The yeah, it's humor, dated humor is 80s for sure. And it's 80s Mel Brooks humor. Yeah. But I think if you know what you're in for, then you're going to really enjoy it. I think that there's a lot of really funny scenes throughout, a lot of iconic scenes. One of the ones that we didn't discuss, which was all improv, was that in going with the whole merchandising joke that Mel Brooks had started, on on set one day said, wouldn't it be funny if we had little action figures Mm -hmm. and had them made up? And then Rick Moranis just improv that entire scene of him playing with the Spaceballs action figures, which is funny because in the movie, it's like one of the most memorable it's scenes. so great. And so funny. Yeah, to think that that wasn't even written in the script. That was just like on the day of, hey, I got an idea. Pure Rick Moranis. Yeah, it just goes to say the, the quality of filmmaking, the characters involved. You know, the cast was saying... As funny as you think the movie is, and as much as you laugh, we were laughing way more on Mm -hmm. set. They had talked about how much film they were wasting because they kept laughing a lot. Daphne kept talking about how John Candy was like constantly making her laugh. And she was like crying laughing to where they'd have to come (laughs) fix up her makeup. And then they'd be like, okay, roll. And she'd get really upset. She'd be like, you can't do that to me. I was right in the middle of like, he was making me laugh. And they were just wasting a ton of film because it's all shot on 35 millimeter. Aww. And that Mel Brooks just didn't care. You know, he forgave him because he said he would rather have a really happy set than, you know, them getting too serious. That being said, Mel Brooks does have an interesting style. He encourages his actors. But he's also 
He can get a little shouty, like, let's try harder, let's do this. He loves to do multiple takes. Not quite Kubrick-level multiple takes, but he wants the most out of it. Mm -hmm. And all the cast kept joking about how when he would do his scenes as Yogurt, Uh uh, he would do one take and go, Oh. oh, that was brilliant. Yeah, perfect. And then they would do their one take. And she said at one point, she even jokingly out loud said, oh, yeah, that was perfect. And he was like, it was good. Now we're going to do another one. (laughs) So they had an ongoing joke about that. too. Well, I did hear that with the yogurt costume, he was in a significant amount of physical pain. So I could see where he would be like, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. Bill Pullman was saying he was so fresh faced and brand new. That any time he tried to come up with a cool idea, that Mel Brooks was basically like, uh, let's save it, kid. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, everybody trusted in the vision. Uh, it came out. George Lucas loved it, which is really good. I mean, I think it's nice to have that seal of approval from the person you're spoofing. The reception is interesting. It was a $22 million budget, like I said. It made $38 million, so, I mean, it got its money back. Mm-hmm. It didn't do great, but it also didn't flop. It was really well received for the most part, but it wasn't like a hit by any means. Mm-hmm. It, like everything we discuss on this podcast, found its footing in home mm-hmm. video. It became a huge seller. Mel Brooks said that still, you know, I, I would assume to this day, the two best sellers that he had on VHS weren't Blazing Saddles or Young Frankenstein, but it was Spaceballs and Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> the two best sellers. Oh, that's so good. I haven't thought about Robin Hood Men in Tights in so long. I haven't either. I kind of want to watch it again. Uh, but it did become, ultimately, it really did become a cult, a cult classic and really adored by by many people for good reason. It's a fun film. It's an easy watch. It's uh lighthearted, enjoyable, and it really does hold up. I mean, that's Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to say about it other than if you haven't seen it in a long time, watch it. It's it's just an easy way to spend an afternoon, you know, yeah. an hour and a half, watch Spaceballs. Yeah, go get your COVID booster shot, feel like garbage, watch Spaceballs. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I got my booster shot coming up, and I'm always like, oh, I should probably create a stack of films I need to watch for the next two days. Yep. <laughs> Anyway, that's it, everybody. That is Spaceballs. We hope if you love this movie, you enjoyed our look on it. I look back on it and learned a few things. And if you have not seen it, do yourself a favor. It's a must-watch of the 80s. Take Emily Kimberly's advice and get after it. Yep. Emily Emily Kimberly never lies. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, time to close this butthole. If you like what you heard, you can follow us uh, on Instagram at Lasergraves. Come on now, we're closing this show up. You could also check out Lasergraves.com. The word butthole. I know. Just it, sometimes it just works. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, what are we even talking about? It's... We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Bye.